Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is May 31st, 2019. Um, And I'm doing my show an hour later than usual this evening. Um, Just returned from participating in a panel discussion, debate, whatever you want to call it, over at I-24 News. It's a news organization based out of Tel Aviv. It's a global news organization. And this is my second appearance on that network this week to discuss what else? Immigration. Um, What I want to get to today, before I do anything else, but I also want to remind those of you why we have the show. And for those of you who are new to my program, I welcome you. Uh, And I'm looking at the numbers and I see that more and more people are tuning in. And that is encouraging because the purpose of my program in the wake of the terror attacks of 9-11, attacks that for the latest generation of Americans, the youngest generation, um, is something that they don't remember. It happened 18 years ago. Think about that. You have adults in America who really don't relate to 9-11 other than what they're being told or not being told. But for anybody who lived through 9-11, and as a New Yorker, I did, uh, it was a seminal moment. It was that event that you knew exactly where you were when you got the news or when you witnessed it up close and in person. You put it right up there with the Kennedy assassination, again, something the young people have no memory of. Uh, The explosion of Shuttle Challenger, again, something that happened decades ago. All these catastrophes that stop you dead in your tracks and shake you by both shoulders And there's no way you could ever unsee it or unexperience it. If you were here, if you were alive, if you lived through it, it changed you profoundly and permanently. I believe that anybody who was in New York or perhaps at the Pentagon or in Shanksville um, may still well be suffering post-traumatic stress. And my program is the response to that because of my 30 years of experience with the INS, because I was the guy that was reached out to by the 9-11 Commission and uh, asked to testify before multiple hearings in the House and Senate on immigration, principally where it impacts national security and public safety. My program was my idea of a way to reach as many Americans as possible to provide them with my perspectives on the immigration system. Now, uh, let's be honest. No one understands everything. Nobody gets it all. I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm very leery about the word expert. I've testified as an expert witness before Congress. 
I've testified as an expert witness at trials where immigration was an issue. But the term expert disturbs me because nobody has all the answers. Nobody sees things from all perspectives. And everybody comes to a situation with the prejudices of their life experience. That's the only way to describe it, the prejudices of life experience. If you ate seafood three or four times and got sick every time you ate it, you'd probably steer clear of seafood, even though maybe the food is perfectly fine and there was something wrong with you when it happened. But we see things through our own personal experiences that alters the way we see things. <clears throat> so, you know, to go back to advice the teacher gave me way back when, we were always taught, don't just get your news from one source. Make certain to go to multiple sources so that whatever predisposed notions the journalists bring to the story are canceled out by the other journalists who see things from a different perspective. But in any event, I did have 30 years of experience with the INS. I rotated through all the squads within the investigations branch. I also spent four years as an immigration inspector at Kennedy International Airport. I spent a year of those four years on assignment as an adjudications officer doing those marriage interviews that you've seen in the movies. Of course, in the movies, it's lighthearted comedy and reality. Marriage fraud is no laughing matter. Uh, terrorists have engaged in marriage fraud as a means of entering the United States and betting themselves getting citizenship and a U.S. passport. These are deadly serious issues. But the way the media frequently covers the issues, you would never know it. So we're going to try to bust more than our usual dose of myths this evening. And, and by the way, that's why my program is going to run 90 minutes tonight. Normally it's a 60-minute program. <clears throat> Grab yourself a cup of coffee or a drink or whatever it is you do. Sit back because there is so much going on. And, and in view of what my mission has been since 9-11 about providing those perspectives, there are so many immigration stories that are out there tonight that I wanted to spend a little bit more time with you so that we wouldn't rush through it. These issues are that important. The crisis is that serious. And, and we have to be honest about what we're dealing with. And unfortunately, um, getting the truth from the media is a very difficult proposition. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. Um, and, and so my program is kind of... Uh, like the Mythbusters, but we don't blow anything up except the myths, the lies, the nonsense. And, and hopefully, hopefully, you'll come away with a better understanding of what we're really dealing with. So that's the purpose of my program. I urge you all to go to my personal website. It's michaelcutler.net. I also do a lot of writing for Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. In the past, I've written for The Social Contract. I'm also writing articles and doing podcasts with DML News, Dennis Michael Lynch News, DMLnews.com. <clears throat> Again, uh, I'm, I'm going everywhere and anywhere I can to try to get the truth out there. Because the mainstream media these days don't even have former immigration law enforcement personnel on to discuss immigration. If there's a homicide, there's no shortage of retired homicide detectives. If it's a kidnapping, they roll out the FBI profiling. If it's a case involved or, or a story about the military, there's no shortage of retired generals and commandos and Navy SEALs and you name it, they bring them out. But remarkably, where immigration is concerned, when was the last time that you saw somebody come on a program who actually has real-world immigration experience? I, I will tell you, Fox News, 
does bring on the, the acting director of ICE, and I've been on Fox recently, um, other experts in the area. But if you go to the other networks, and, and it's disturbing because after 9-11, I was averaging 15 to 20 television interviews per month on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, uh, ABC. <clears throat> I even taped a segment for the Today Show. You would think that with immigration figuring as prominently as it is in the news, that the mainstream media, if they are truly news organizations, would bring in people who understand the issue. Mostly what you get are the pundits, radio talk show hosts, um, everybody and anybody except people with on-the-ground, real-world life experience as professionals in immigration law enforcement. It's not an accident. It's the crime of omission, and it's not an accident. It's about providing a perspective that does not square with reality. Uh, To begin with, we're hearing that there's no crisis on the border. And and so I want to start out by telling you why there's a crisis on the border. I have not yet written about President Trump's decision or, or threat, if you will, to impose tariffs on Mexico on a sliding scale where they will continue to be ratcheted up if Mexico fails to cooperate with America to help us deal with the immigration crisis. And so if we're going to talk about that, that's why I went to I-24 News. That's why I'm doing my show late today. If we're going to talk about that, then we need to determine whether or not there's a crisis on the border. And, And I want you to understand that, in my view, there is. I will also tell you that one of the people that was on my panel said there's no crisis. I I don't know how he could make the statement, because what I hope to do is, in a fact-based manner, explain why there's a crisis. First of all, and I've written about this and I've discussed this on my program in the past, there's been a string of congressional hearings for the last 10 years or more, specifically about how Hezbollah is working with human trafficking and drug smuggling organizations throughout Latin America to flood America with narcotics and aliens. It's about raising money. Hezbollah is a terrorist organization. The State Department declared them to be a terrorist organization. It has its origins in Lebanon. But today, Hezbollah is an arm of Iran. Iran funds it, directs it, um, tasks it with carrying out its, its missions. And with the hostility that we're facing from Iran, the problem with the nuclear program, uh, all these issues, the fact that there have been attacks in the Middle East on ships, on, on a pipeline with, where the Saudi type, a pipeline was, was attacked by drones. Iran is aggressive. It's the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. And one of the points that's been made repeatedly at these hearings is that by bringing lots of aliens to the United States, it's also providing Iran with opportunities to move sleeper agents into the United States. Now, mind you, they don't only come across the Mexican border. That's something we have to understand. As I've pointed out ever so many times, America is a nation that has 50 border states. Any state that has an international airport, any state that lies on the northern or southern border, any state that has access to America's 93,000 miles of coastline are all border states. So we're not just talking about the Mexican border, but you also can't ignore the Mexican border. Uh, You know, I I once wrote an article, and I called it Border Security and the Immigration Colander, you know, that device we use to drain pasta with all the holes in it. It would be ludicrous 
to plug one hole in the bottom of a of a um, colander and then say, okay, I've now made this, this colander into a watertight pot. We can now cook in it. That's an absurdity. I've also come to compare a secure Mexican border with a wing on an airplane. You know, a wing, an airplane without a wing doesn't fly, but the wing by itself goes nowhere. A border wall is only one of many elements that effective immigration policies require. We need to stop the flood of aliens entering the United States illegally. Now, one of the big lines that we've heard from the globalists, oh, my God, you're going to seal us off from Mexico. This is racist. The border wall wouldn't seal America off from Mexico. Let's be so clear about this. We are not talking about erecting a wall and you can't get in. All that the wall would do is make certain to funnel all people and all commerce through ports of entry. That's the purpose for the wall. I'm sure that's not what you're seeing in the media. It's a racist wall. It's an anti-Mexican wall. It's contrary to America's policies of being a welcoming country. Folks, the wall would not stop anybody from entering the United States legally, legally, with inspection. That's the purpose. And before we go further, I want to ask you a question and and, and be rational about this. If you went to the airport to take a flight and saw a bunch of people, especially if they were in great physical shape, sneaking past the TSA inspectors that we all go through where they check our baggage and we go through the magnetometers and the x-ray machines and all the other little dance that we do. If you saw people sneak past them and get on your flight, my simple question is this. Would you continue to get on that airplane or would you yell and say, hey, those guys weren't checked, something is wrong? If you're rational, you would probably not get on the airplane. I will tell you right now, I would not get on that airplane. TSA is there to keep bombs and weapons off of airplanes. If somebody sneaks past TSA, they're probably doing it because they're up to no good. The inspections process conducted at ports of entry is not unlike the TSA process at international or or actually any airport. It's about keeping aliens out of the country, not based on race, religion, ethnicity. Again, more baloney. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it categorizes all the classes of aliens who are inadmissible, to be excluded, to be kept out. Starts with aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or serious mental illness. Let's remember Ellis Island was a quarantine station. In fact, at the time that it was built, Ellis Island was actually the biggest hospital complex in the entire United States of America. Ellis Island was operated with immigration authorities and public health authorities. Okay? So first category, aliens with dangerous diseases or severe mental illness. Then we get to aliens who are criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice, aliens who are previously deported and don't have permission to return, aliens who've committed fraud in their applications for visas, concealing either criminal histories or their true identities. In other words, again, on paper, circumventing the immigration system by committing fraud. By the way, it's a serious crime, and we'll get into some of those crimes a bit later on. And then we get to aliens who would likely become a public charge 
or aliens who, if they did not have permission to work, they were coming with a temporary visa, you know, as a tourist or, or whatever, and they were determined to be coming to work, that means they would be posing a threat to the livelihoods and wages of Americans who were similarly employed. And, in fact, the Labor Department used to run immigration prior to the Second World War. Immigration shifted from the Labor Department to the Justice Department when it was realized by our leaders <clears throat> that Nazi saboteurs and Japanese saboteurs might sneak into the United States to carry out attacks. In fact, some Germans were found coming to the United States on U-boats on Long Island here in New York and in Florida, one of the targets for those terrorists, as it turned out, or saboteurs, as they were called then, was Grand Central Station, because in the basement of the Grand Central Station was um, inverters that would convert alternating current to direct current. And the Germans wanted to knock out the trains that ran on direct current, because the trains were bringing materials to the docks that was then being shipped to England. So we had Nazi saboteurs come through or try to get in on Long Island, getting off of U-boats. They were caught, put on trial. A couple had lived here permanently. I think one was a naturalized citizen. Uh, one or two were sentenced to either life in prison, 30 years in jail. They got heavy sentences. And several were executed as enemy combatants. They entered without inspection, but some Coast Guardsmen luckily saw them, notified the FBI, and they were put on trial. So entry without inspection is not minor. It's a big deal. And people know this. Chuck Schumer proposed, I believe, in 2015 or 2014, federal legislation that would make trespassing on critical infrastructure or national landmarks a five-year felony. He said when people, especially foreign people, come into the United States and they trespass on critical infrastructure, that's a threat to our security. This needs to be a, a crime that carries a five-year maximum penalty because in New York State, the worst these individuals face for trespassing is a year in jail, and most of them only get a couple of months. It's not a strong enough punishment. We need a bigger punishment to stop people from trespassing. Believe it or not, I agree with Chuck Schumer. Here's the disconnect. Here's the hypocrisy. Aliens who run the border are clearly trespassing on the United States. Trespassing is defined as entering onto someone else's land without permission. So if you run the border, you're trespassing. So the same Chuck Schumer, who clearly understands and articulates the threats posed by individuals who trespass on critical infrastructure or national landmarks and says, put them in jail for five years. And it was remarkable because one of the people that he mentioned on his own official U.S. Senate website, and I've written about it, was an individual that he himself described as a 16-year-old boy, and he used the term boy, who had climbed what was then called the Freedom Tower, the New World Trade Center Tower, to take a selfie. And he said, this is so dangerous. He could have gotten people hurt. He said, I don't care if you're, a, if you're an adrenaline freak or a criminal. If you trespass, I want you in jail for five years. And he even, in that context, mentioned a 16-year-old, a teenager. Tough on trespassing. Why aren't we tough on people who trespass on the United States? The 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, was crystal clear that border security is national security. And the 9-11 Commission talked about border security. And not only the Mexican border, but the visa process. All of these issues. Now, if you put all these pieces of the puzzle together, 
Hezbollah working with the human traffickers. And we know that there are terror training camps in the tri-border region of Brazil. And we know that Iran has been flying their Quds forces, their elite Red Guard, into Venezuela for the last decade, creating mayhem. Venezuela came from, went from being the wealthiest country in all of Latin America to the poorest in all of Latin America. And at these hearings, some of the experts who testified talked about, Vene- about Iran's goals of destabilizing countries throughout Latin America to create safe havens for terrorists that they could position there to ultimately target the United States. This is serious. This is deadly serious. The way I want you to think about it is this way. Every alien who enters the United States, legally or illegally, creates that one opportunity the terrorists are looking for to get their people into the United States to carry out attacks. And sometimes they don't attack immediately, but they become sleeper agents. And we're going to talk about one of those sleeper agents. I wrote about it in the front page magazine. A naturalized citizen from Lebanon who admitted that he was here um, and, and told what to do to carry out attacks in the United States. He was targeting possible locations along with another individual. Not only did he legally immigrate, but we, we gave this guy a, a world-class education. He wound up with a degree in biomechanical engineering. This was no stupid kid. You know, you sometimes read these sting operations where some guy with a fourth-grade education is running around saying, I'm going to make an atom bomb, and everybody laughs. You have an engineer with a biomechanical engineering degree. This guy has the training to make some serious weapons. And he took overt acts to acquire weapons, acquire materials, uh, and he ultimately admitted why he was here and what his goals were. This is serious. So people say, oh, the Mexican border, that, that's a manufactured crisis. Now, add to that the drugs pouring across the border. And, of course, you're going to hear the nonsense. Well, if you build a 20-foot wall, they will come with a 25-foot ladder, or they will tunnel under the – of course they will. I'm not going to say they won't, but the numbers would be reduced hugely. People break out of jails. That happens frequently. Not that frequently, but the point is, with very few exceptions, maybe supermax, people escape from jail. So do we stop building jails, or do we try to make them more secure? So, yes, will people climb? Sure they will. But are you going to get thousands of people climbing at one moment? No, of course not. And, in fact, there was a report, and this was one of the reasons I wound up at I-24 News yesterday, over 1,000 aliens were apprehended in in mass on the U.S.-Mexican border, more than 1,000. This is highly organized. These aren't a few people that show up on a street corner and say, yeah, let's make a run for America. These are highly coordinated and funded operations. This isn't accidental. It's not a mom-and-pop deal. It's not some kids who are jaywalking. When you're talking about over a 1,000, which brings us to another problem. And I wrote about this not long ago. Um, 60 Minutes did a piece where certain parts of the border, almost half of the border patrol agents are not doing border watch, line watch. They're now dealing with the aliens already in custody, which means that we don't have the resources on the border to make certain that more people and evil people and weapons aren't being dragged across the border some distance away from where all of these people are turning themselves into the border agents, border patrol agents. And, and I, I compare this, it was June 6th rapidly approaching, I compared this to the, the run-up to D-Day 
when something known as uh, the Calais Deception convinced the Germans that the Allied forces were going to be attacking through Calais and not through Normandy. The Germans had to split their resources, and it was only because of that brilliant strategy that the Allies were able to defeat the Germans at Normandy, but at a huge cost. And my concern is that as resources, limited as they are on the southern border, are being diverted to deal with, a month ago, 100,000 had been, you know, dealt with, 100,000 aliens. So you have areas on the border that go unprotected. Who's coming across those sections? God knows. And all you need are a handful of terrorists to wreak havoc on us. A couple of days ago, they dedicated, they, the city of New York, I believe it was, dedicated a glade to the first responders and others who were sickened by the toxins released on 9-11. Tens of thousands of people were sickened. Because the drug bill is running out of money. It already has spent, I believe, $6 billion. When people say, how can we afford a wall? How can we afford whatever it is we need? How could we not? We've had thousands of people dying terribly of cancer, respiratory illnesses. Uh, some have already died. It, it seems as though now there's a death every week from one of the first responders. We build monuments, and we should. We should. These were brave, heroic people who volunteered to go in harm's way, first to look for survivors, then to look for human remains, to help the families who suffered those losses get some sort of closure so that they would have some human remain to bury, that they could at least go to the cemetery and say prayers and, and have a sense of we know what happened to our loved ones. And now those people who made that valiant, unbelievable effort are themselves dying. But nobody wants to think about what have we done to learn the lessons of 9-11. We've lost over 70,000 people to opiate overdoses. And yes, a lot of it is prescription drugs, but a lot of it is still the heroin and the fentanyl and the meth that's coming across the border. The fentanyl, by the way, primarily sourced from China, the country we gave most favored trade status to. I'm sure the Chamber of Commerce was happy. I don't know anybody else could be, who could be happy with what we've done. And we finally have an administration that's standing up to China. And all that Wall Street wants to talk about is how is this going to affect quarterly profits. China is a communist totalitarian country that has no respect for human rights, including the rights of their own people. They're using technology to spy on their own people. They're using facial recognition to go after Chinese citizens in China. If they jaywalk, they may lose the privilege of going on buses. Their kids may be yanked out of school. I didn't make this up. There's been report after report. They have something known as Confucius schools in the United States where they are demanding that the schools teach a certain curriculum and they tell the schools who to hire because they're making huge contributions. And they're saying, we have the right to tell you how to teach our kids. Well, it's American kids also. We've allowed foreign countries to make such incredible inroads in the United States. We've given up our sovereignty in the name of globalism. And it's not the Democrats alone. Ronald Reagan gave us the first visa waiver program. Insane. Insane. Ronald Reagan gave us the amnesty of 1986. And what no one talks about, yes, they'll, they'll say, well, they, they said it was going to involve a million aliens, and it wound up involving three and a half, four million Here's the number no one talks about. 
how many millions more were petitioned for by the aliens who were then legalized and had the authority then to bring in their extended families. So Reagan's amnesty probably gave us 20 million immigrants altogether before it was all over with. Nobody talks about that. This isn't a left-right issue. Traditionally, it was the Republicans that wanted the open borders, not the Democrats. The Democrats said, no, 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 we don't want, we don't want open borders. This is terrible. You're destroying jobs and wages, and this is not something that we want to see happen, because in the old days, the Democratic Party was the party of the working family. They were the ones who wanted to make certain that Americans got jobs and had good wages. And, and so what we're really looking at is a very different situation now. The Democrats turned around and said, you know, maybe the Republicans are happy with cheap labor, but goodness, we could achieve political objectives by opening up the borders to guess what winds up happening. So now you've got the Democrats who are even more committed to opening up our borders than, um, than anybody else. And, and, and so we have both political parties. If you want to talk about collusion, it's both parties who are colluding with each other to keep the borders open. That's a very serious problem. And, and so on, on top of that situation, uh, here's something for you to think about. The Chamber of Commerce is opposed to the, to the threat that Trump made to impose tariffs on Mexican goods. And it's hurting business. And, and the point that we all need to understand is that the possibility exists that the Chamber of Commerce is concerned that the strategy might actually seal the border, that Mexico may feel compelled to do something. Because Mexico can certainly control the border it has with Guatemala much more easily than we can control the Mexican border because it's a much, much, much smaller border, the border that separates Mexico from Guatemala. So if Mexico secured that border, the caravans couldn't come up that way. There are too many people making too much money by having open borders. And, and so this then becomes one of the biggest problems that we have. And um, in, any, in any event, um, let, me, let me go back to this article that I wrote for Front Page magazine. And I want to start out by, by, by telling you this. Um, we're hearing, and I wrote an article that I hope you will check out, cooperation between ICE and police essential to combat MS-13. <clears throat> now, what you need to understand is that frequently the open borders crowd will moan and groan and say, oh, these are administrative law violations. It's not a big deal. Who cares? You know, it's an administrative violation. It's a civil law violation. Think about it. How often have you heard that claim? Immigration violations are civil violations. Yeah, there are civil violations, but there's also criminal violations. Immigration law enforcement has two remedies. Civilly, an alien who violates the immigration laws can be deported, removed from the United States, and that is civil. And, and there are administrative punishments. $100 fine, 30 days in jail. It's kind of like a misdemeanor on, on the state level, relatively minor crimes. However, aliens, for example, who are deported from the United States and reenter the United States illegally are committing a felony. It used to be a two-year maximum felony. I worked with Senator Aldamato back in the 80s so that the maximum punishment 
for an alien with a, with a serious criminal history who gets deported and illegally reenters the United States faces 20 years in jail. This is not minor. So a 20-year jail sentence for an immigration law violation. An alien who commits visa fraud lies on a visa application that's committing a 10-year felony. If the visa fraud is committed in conjunction with terrorism, this is a 25-year crime, 25-year maximum jail sentence. If visa fraud is committed in conjunction with narcotics trafficking, it's a 20-year crime, penalties-wise. These aren't civil violations. These are the lies that you're being told by the open borders crowd because they want to minimize the importance of immigration law. They want to put it on par with jaywalking, not trespassing. Um, Another very important law, Title 18, United States Code, Section 922G5, illegal alien in possession of ammunition or firearm that has been involved in interstate commerce. Calls for 10 years in jail. If you're concerned about guns on the street, think about the leverage that this charge brings to you. And I've worked closely with the police. You know, I was the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA. And then I spent the last 10 years of my career with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So we brought those laws to bear to take people off the street who were involved with drug trafficking organizations. Terrorists who are foreign national violate multiple sections of the immigration laws. Many of them are criminal statutes that carry serious sentences. And by the way, and anybody who engages in alien smuggling faces life in jail if any of the people they smuggle die. Now, you're not hearing that in the media. The media says, oh, immigration law, civil nonsense, it's civil. It's also criminal. And what's really criminal are the sanctuary cities. Because the whole idea that you have cities that harbor and shield criminal aliens from detection by ICE is unbelievable. And and, and so I wrote another piece, and, and, and the title of this article was Sanctuary Policies Kill, the Road to Hell Paved by Malevolent Politicians. And in this particular case, I focused on on a story that really rattled my cage, really, really rattled my cage, because we had a situation where um, two aliens who were involved with MS-13, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with MS-13, it's a transnational gang that has its origins in El Salvador, Guatemala, Mexico, and Los Angeles, but started in El Salvador. Prince George's County arrested two teenage members of MS-13 that initially charged them with attempted murder, conspiracy to commit murder, robbery, and several other felonies. ICE came down, lodged a detainer, and said, when you're done with them, we'll take them off your hands. They're here illegally. We're going to deport them. They were also identified as members of MS-13. Somehow they were allowed to plead down some of the charges. And while this was all going on, they were actually released from custody. And Prince George's County willfully ignored. First, they denied it, and then they admitted it because the evidence was too clear. So the lies didn't work anymore. They willfully released these two thugs. Within a matter of days, they allegedly 
bludgeoned a 14-year-old girl to death. Baseball bats, knives killed her for fear that she would provide more evidence to the police. She's dead because they were released. That person or persons who made that decision has blood on his or her hands. So we're hearing this nonsense. We're going to be compassionate. We're going to be kind. We're not going to separate families. Tell that to the relatives of that 14-year-old girl who's now dead. She was separated from her family, wasn't she? They were separated from her, weren't they? You hear the lies and the nonsense and the propaganda. We're not going to separate families. We have to be compassionate. America is a country of immigrants. We are, and we admit more than a million lawful immigrants every year. But lawful immigrants are not the same as illegal aliens. The people that walk out of a bank with money in their pocket, if they withdrew money from the bank or got a loan, we call them customers. If they took money at gunpoint, we call them bank robbers. We don't call them customers. You see? Well, in both cases, they're walking out of the bank with money and they're happy. They must all be happy customers. No, they aren't. The guy that walked into the bank and and, and shoved the gun in the teller's face and said, give me your money or else, is not a customer. Aliens who run the border, aliens who commit visa fraud, are not immigrants. These are foreign nationals who are committing crimes by the way they enter the United States or what they do once they're here. And, you know, if you go to the, the, um, the House of Representatives or the Senate, they have a sergeant at arms. He's there to keep order. If you go to a bar, they have bouncers. If you take a test, they have proctors. It stands to reason. There has to be order in the system. There is no order in the immigration system. And anybody who would dare suggest that we bring law and order to the immigration system are accused of being bigots and racists and haters and xenophobes. Is it anti-social to lock your door at night and look through the people when a stranger shows up? If you leave your door open at night, bad things are going to happen. America has left its doors wide open. In fact, we refuse to build doors. And by the way, when the Republicans controlled both the House and Senate, how much money did they appropriate for a border wall? How much money did they appropriate for more agents? And you have lawyers who are now suggesting that we do away with employer sanctions. Oh, we don't need I-9s, and we don't need to investigate employers who hire illegal aliens. Let's flood America with more aliens. Why would they want that? Because aliens who come to the United States, especially if they're illegal, are clients, you see. And you have immigration lawyers in both the House and Senate from both the Democratic and Republican Party. And so when they see America being inundated by foreign nationals, they jump up and down for joy. Wow, clients, billable hours, how wonderful. Corporations are happy because wages can go down. And meanwhile, you have a president, and I don't always agree with how he articulates his ideas, but you have a president who says, wait a minute, we have to have an orderly system on the border, and the attacks are off the chart. The attacks are off the chart. 
And anybody who agrees with Trump is branded a racist. How many people have been assaulted because they're wearing a cap that says, make America great again? This isn't the way that America operates. This isn't the way the First Amendment operates. We're turning our country into a thugocracy. The greatest generation saved our country. We just remembered them at Memorial Day. The incredible soldiers, over a million from what I remember reading, since the founding of our great nation, who died defending America, defending freedom, defending freedom. And today, um, you know, we've gone from the greatest generation to the goofiest generation. And I hope to God I'm wrong, but it could easily become America's last generation. I, I think that the greatest generation wanted to shield their children from the horrors they experienced, the depression, the wars all the crazy stuff that went on. And I think what they did was they made things too easy for their kids. Nobody respects anything that's just handed to them. I remember when I went to school, there was a kid whose parents were very wealthy. And where most of my friends, if they had a car, had beat up used cars, this guy's father would buy him a new Corvette. And he one day said to one of his friends, he was a year ahead of me. I wasn't there, but people told me the story. Oh, I need a new car. I'm tired of the color. And they said, are you crazy? I'd give anything for the car. How are you going to convince your father to give you a new car? And apparently he whispered in one kid's ear that he was going to smash the car. And he did. And the stupid father bought him another car. He got the insurance money. They thought it was an accident. This is back in the 60s. And lo and behold, he shows up with a new car. The car didn't mean anything to him because it was given to him. If he had to work in the back of a restaurant somewhere, or he had to work on a road crew, or he had to do some other tough job to get the money to buy a car, that car would have been golden to him. But because it was just handed to him, it didn't mean anything. Things have value when we have to strive for them. Things have no value when they're handed to us. And I believe that Our so-called leaders today had much too much handed to them, and they just don't appreciate what they have. They don't appreciate the sacrifices of the greatest generation, and it's both parties. You know, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm not being partisan. I'm just being a disgusted American. I look around, and I don't even understand what I'm witnessing. I find it incredible to me that most Americans don't understand the issues. We're so busy twittering and tweeting if anything takes more than you know a couple of words, no one has the patience for it. We have an attention span like goldfish. They want to hear about whatever it is in 10 minutes or less. Otherwise, go away. I don't want to hear about it. These are serious issues that require serious solutions. Immigration is a system. There is no magic bullet. You know, the people that are running around saying, well, mandatory you verify solves the problem. The wall on the border solves the problem. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. These are all elements of a system, and they are vital elements. I agree we need mandatory E-Verify. I agree we need a border wall. But if that's all that we do, we will fail. We have to look at immigration as a system. We have to anticipate if we act this way, how will the other people act? You know, spy versus spy, action and reaction. It's a chess game. I move there, you move here. Um, At one of the hearings where I testified, I compared the immigration system to a balloon. And I said, if you squeeze a balloon at one end, it's going to bulge at the other end. So you need to anticipate where is it going to bulge. If you make the border completely impassable illegally, 
then the goal of aliens who want to come here is to get a green card by maybe committing marriage fraud or concealing their identities or concealing their criminal histories or concealing their involvement with criminal or terrorist organizations. You have to anticipate it. Close off one avenue, they're going to look for another avenue. The reason drugs are pouring across the Mexican border, it wasn't always like that, is because most of the drugs used to come from Colombia into Florida on speedboats. If you saw the film or the TV series, Miami Vice, it was about all the speedboats pumping gazillions of tons of cocaine into Florida. And during the Carter administration, the U.S. economy was in the tank, but not in South Florida. In South Florida, building was booming. Car dealers couldn't keep Ferraris and Maseratis in stock. Gold Rolex watches were flying off the shelves. It was drug money fueling the economy. Today, drug money is fueling America's economy also. And the money is washing through Wall Street. The money is washing through real estate. It's washing through the banks. If you took drug money out of the U.S. economy, it would implode. That's how pervasive it is. And while we have a major problem with heroin and opiates, you have municipalities and states saying, let's legalize pot. And and here's the point. Number one, pot is a gateway drug. But even if you don't accept that it's a gateway drug, is that the message you want to give to children, that some drugs are okay? If you want to get a handle on the epidemic that's killing tens of thousands, and then let's talk about how many more people's lives are ruined because they've become addicted, or how many people are injured by criminals who commit violent crimes to get the money so they can buy the drugs because they're addicted. Or you have the the gang violence to control turf. The carnage is unbelievable. Undoubtedly, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people every year are being slaughtered one way or the other because of drugs or people driving under the influence. So with all of this for a backdrop, and if you look at Colorado and elsewhere where they've already legalized pots, Motor vehicle accidents have gone up because people are driving under the influence. More and more cities and more and more states are jumping on the bandwagon. Let's legalize pot. Is this in the best interest of America or Americans? This is like the nonsense that if we want America to lead, we need to bring in the world's best and brightest. Folks, we have a name for the world's best and brightest. We call them Americans. America is the most ethnically diverse country on the planet. America went to the moon 45 years ago with technology that made their computers look like an abacus compared to the computers we have today. There's probably more computing power on your watch than they had in the entire Apollo spacecraft. Certainly your cell phone would eclipse anything they had back then. And we did it. Yes, there were some German scientists involved. And I have no problem with America importing truly exceptional people. That's fine. But when you import hundreds of thousands of high-tech workers, you're doing it for one reason and one reason alone, then it's demonstrable. If you look at the testimony from Alan Greenspan, when he testified for Chuck Schumer back on April 30th, 2009, a decade ago, he referred to American high-tech workers as the privileged elite. He said there's too much money going to that sector of our economy, in other words, the middle class. And he said the solution to wage inequality is to make Americans compete with foreign workers. And if we did that through the wage pricing mechanism of international competition, we could reduce the wage premium we pay to those highly educated Americans. And by doing that, we could greatly reduce wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. In other words, 
let's kill the middle class so the poor will have nobody to be envious of. That's what's really going on. And this isn't left-right. It's right-wrong. It's what's happening to America and its future. And as America's future goes, so goes the future of our children and our grandchildren. And, and, and you look at the immigration crisis, and when you have people saying, this is not a crisis, what they're really telling you is, we're happy it's happening. We're happy it's happening. How in the world do you look at a flood of humanity and children being exploited? It now turns out that 25 to 30 percent of the so-called families aren't really families. They're recycling children. Some of them are infants because infants can't be inter- inter- interviewed or interrogated. So we have children being split up from their families, being sent to the United States by pernicious and violent drug traffickers, human traffickers, with people who aren't their own. And I wrote about it. I spoke about it last week. A 51-year-old man from, um, I, I believe it was Guatemala. I could be getting that wrong, but it doesn't matter. Either Guatemala or Honduras, forgive me. But he had a six-month-old child with him who we first said was his son and then admitted that he, it wasn't his kid. Well, where did that child come from? How do we reunite that child with his family? Not a crisis. Not a crisis that diseases are coming across the board. We're hearing so much about the measles outbreak. I received an email from someone who said that his friend works for the LAPD, and you have police officers in Los Angeles and elsewhere who are coming down with typhus and other diseases that we either vanquished in the United States or never saw here because of between the poverty and the homelessness and people coming across the border who've never been inoculated. There's a big controversy. Oh, my God, people aren't inoculating their children for the measles. We're going to force them to. I, I agree that we've got to deal with this crisis. But people who come across the border who are not inspected generally aren't inoculated and certainly have no records of, of what their immunity situation is. But if you suggest it, you're, a, you're a racist and so forth. There's been a, an occurrence of a virus that mimics polio. We've never seen it before. Did it start in the United States? Maybe, but is that likely? No. So we have a problem with resistant tuberculosis. We have all these diseases coming into the United States. And all we're saying is the immigration system needs to be a lawful system where we screen people, just as we look through the people before we admit a stranger into our home. And you have members of the political establishment calling for ending immigration law enforcement altogether. Would anybody out there be happy If airliners landed in the United States from all over the world, England, France, Tel Aviv, Australia, Nairobi, Kenya, Jamaica, you name the country, I don't care, Haiti, and the passengers grab their suitcase and just get off with nobody talking to them as though it was a domestic flight, would would you feel secure? I don't think so. I sure as hell wouldn't. But that's what we're talking about. We admit a million lawful immigrants every year. They're given green cards. They're immediately placed on the pathway to United States citizenship. They're free to take any job they want. They can bring their wives and children with them. Over a million a year come that way. Tens of millions of temporary visitors come to the United States every year, and every year nearly a half million disappear. They don't leave when they're supposed to. They take work they're not supposed to take, which hammers American workers hammers their wages, and all of these workers are sending money home, which gets us back to Mexico with the issue of the tariff. 
Mexico does not want to cooperate with the United States. Even though they promised President Trump they would, they don't want to cooperate. Because the money being wired home by Mexican workers represents the second largest source of revenue for Mexico. Last year, it's estimated $30 billion was sent by wire from the United States to Mexico. And by the way, that does not include the money that was smuggled back into Mexico. And I can tell you, having worked up at DEA Intel and working narcotics cases, you have people hiding money in furniture and appliances and their clothing. They convert the money to gold and diamonds. Why do they do that? Because it's a lot smaller. You can move a million dollars worth of diamonds or gold a lot easier than a million dollars in $100 bills. That money that's raining out of our economy adds to the national debt. So President Trump said, look, you're either going to cooperate with us, meaning Mexico, or we're going to make things so unprofitable that American car companies, and it's estimated now that, according to the president, that 30% of the car manufacturers from the United States have production lines in Mexico. And the president made it clear, if you keep not helping us, what we're going to do is put the heat on so that the car makers will start coming back to the United States and shut down the plants in Mexico, and you're going to lose out. And, and it's remarkable because the guy I debated today at I-24 News, said, look at what President Trump is doing. He's making it worse for the aliens in those countries, the citizens of those countries, because he's shutting off foreign aid. Does anyone seriously think foreign aid really helps the people that live in third world countries? And by the way, Mexico is not really a third world country. It just looks and smells like it. And forgive me for using the term looks and smells like it, you know, for quacks like a duck and so forth. Although I will tell you, when I've been to Mexico, and I've been there many times in the past, I, I mean the stench of poverty hangs in the air. The stench of poverty hangs in the air. I, I, I drove above Mexico City in the mountains because we went to Los Paramados, the pyramids. And it's a, it's a one-lane road in each direction with no guard round. You look over the edge, you see cars that plummeted, you know, hundreds or thousands of feet below, obviously killing people. Very unsettling. And as you're driving up this narrow, winding road, you pass where the people live. And they don't live in houses. They live in little hovels that are carved out of the sides of mountain. And instead of a front door, they cover the dwelling with a serape, a Mexican blanket. The poverty is astonishing. It's astonishing. But yet Mexico has the 15th or 16th largest economy in the world. Mexico has an oligarchy that's swimming in cash, and the average Mexican is starving. Carlos Slim was at one time the wealthiest man in the world. He was born in Mexico, educated in Mexico, lived and worked in Mexico. Wealthiest man in the world. Because the oligarchy of Mexico controls the economy, along with the drug cartels. What a, what a marriage made in hell. Okay? So... If you understand the dynamics, this is all about money. It's about cheap labor. It's about the free flow of, of bucks around the world. The banks are the moving companies. They get a piece of the action. If they move money, it doesn't matter if the money was earned by a surgeon saving a child's life or a woman forced to work at a brothel or a drug dealer who just sold eight kilos of heroin. The bank is happy because they move the money and they get a fee. It's like going to Allied Van Lines and you say, well, I got four rooms of furniture including a piano, and I'm going from New York to Chicago, and they say, great, 
and is there an elevator, and what's the exact mileage, and then they tell you what they're going to charge you for moving your furniture. They don't care if it's colonial, the French provincial, the Scandinavian. They just care how many pieces of furniture, how far is it going, is there an elevator. That's it. They get their cut. The banks are the silent partner for the drug dealers, for the criminals, for everybody. They get their cut, so they're happy. And, and frequently when these banks get hit for doing things illegally with money, HSBC case in point, they find a couple of billion, couple of billion, think of that number, and they just write the check. It's like the cost of doing business. Oh, you, got, you caught me speeding. I'm running a delivery service. I'm speeding. Okay. I ran a red light camera. Okay, I'll pay for it. No consequences. Here's my money. Have a nice day. I'm going back to work. That's what we're dealing with, folks. So you have sanctuary cities that release two MS-13 gang members who allegedly then, within a couple of days, kill a 14-year-old girl. And by the way, I don't know who the girl was, but in my experience, I began investigating MS-13 back around 1991. Almost invariably, their victims are members of the ethnic immigrant Latino community. I will bet you anything that the girl they killed was probably a Latina. So when you hear that, oh, we're protecting the immigrants, really? Really? So you're freeing gang members, and that helps the immigrants somehow. The insanity, the loss of human life is shocking. But it's not reported that way. It's not reported that way except in a few newspapers. For the most part, all you're going to hear about is the lack of compassion by ICE agents. You have Governor Cuomo in New York saying that ICE agents are thugs. Well, words have consequences. Assaults on immigration agents have more than doubled over the past couple of years. Why? The anti-police, anti-immigration rhetoric has taken hold, and people look at immigration agents. They don't want to cooperate with them. And the sad reality is, if law enforcement worked with ICE, the, it's a force multiplier. We used to raid, when I was an immigration agent, we used to raid brothels, the hooker houses, with members of the New York City public moral squad. We also used to raid the, the gambling houses. No reculture has them, Chinese, Italian. They have these illegal gambling joints. And if we worked with the cops, if they found people they couldn't take into custody, if they were here illegally, we would arrest them and deport them. So the guys would say to themselves, gee whiz, I'd certainly like to go over to that massage parlor, but if immigration shows up, I could get deported, and that's going to ruin everything for me. I'm not going to go. You know, we used to joke about it, that lots of guys, at least initially, uh, were getting screwed, but nobody had sex because we were arresting them as illegal aliens, and we were deporting them. And by putting that kind of pressure on these houses of prostitution, and in some cases the women were being forced into doing this, in other cases the women were voluntarily doing it, you know, human nature, human nature. But we were able to shut down a whole bunch of brothels because the aliens stopped going. And many of these brothels, most of the clients are illegal aliens who've left their girlfriends and their wives back home. They're lonely and they have what I call the urge to merge. So Friday night, Saturday night, they'd go over to the brothel looking for a little action and suddenly getting arrested. And the world, the word was out in the community that if you go to one of those joints, there's a good chance immigration is going to arrest you. The business went away. 
It also helped to combat the human traffickers because there was no longer a need for the women. And the women that were arrested, if they were smuggled into the country, would cooperate with us and say, oh, I'll tell you who brought me here. I'll tell you where the safe house is. And this isn't only the safe houses in, 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 you know, along the Mexican border. We've had safe houses here in New York City, in Queens, in Brooklyn, where people are held at gunpoint until people come up with money. And almost invariably, the smugglers ask for more money and more money and more money. And meanwhile, they're raping the girls here in New York City. You want to fight that? Have immigration work with the local police. The reality is you arrest these people. They will turn on the people that brought them here. You can offer them the ability to stay in the United States for a limited period of time. You can even give them visas so they can live here permanently if they really hit a home run for you. They help you um, dismantle a major criminal or major terrorist organization or a narcotics trafficking organization. These folks could be placed on a pathway to citizenship. So if politicians really want to help, quote, unquote, the immigrants, and we're talking really about illegal aliens, there are mechanisms in place. And I've testified before congressional hearings about this. But that's not what you're hearing on the 6 o'clock news. And it's not what you're hearing from the politicians. What you're hearing is a bunch of lies, that immigration is all about civil law. It's minor stuff, which is a total lie, that ICE agents are thugs, um, and we can go on and on and on. Now, I, I want to get to another one of the pieces that I wrote. And bear with me as I bring this up on my computer. Okay. I want to get to this report that I wrote, the story that I wrote for Front Page Magazine. And it was May 28th. Hezbollah sleeper agent convicted of plotting U.S. terror attacks. Lebanese-born terrorist was a naturalized U.S. citizen. And I started talking about this case before. He and another guy were arrested, and he cooperated. But what's interesting, as you piece this case together, he had handlers back in the Middle East. And the handlers told him, don't do anything till you get your U.S. passport. Get your citizenship. Get that passport. But I want you to understand how critical U.S. citizenship is for criminals and terrorists. <clears throat> First of all, if you, get a, if you become an American citizen, on the day that you naturalize, you can change your name. So that's really important because if you change your name when you get a U.S. passport, and I've complained about this at congressional hearings and nothing has ever been done. I complained about this to Michael Chertoff. He had been the Secretary of Homeland Security. He had left that position, but I'm certain that he's still speaking with people within the government. We were in the back of a limo for about 45 minutes with Asa Hutchins. I'm sure it was the longest 45 minutes of his life. And I said, we need to change the fact that when an alien naturalizes and get a U.S. passport or gets a U.S. passport, the U.S. passport only reflects his new name or her new name. I said, that's crazy. Because what we're really doing is allowing criminals and fugitives and terrorists to create their own witness protection program. And here's how it works. You have somebody who's a terrorist. He gets through the system, becomes a United States citizen takes a, a name that sounds nothing like his original name. He takes an Anglo name. He now has two passports. And one passport is in a completely new name. His original name has disappeared. So this guy can now travel easily around the world 
with a new identity and conceal his movement or conceal her movement. Here's how it works. They will fly, let's say, from the United States to a neutral country like Germany on their U.S. passport. Okay? He gets into Germany, presents the U.S. passport. They admit him. He then puts the U.S. passport away, takes out his original passport from Lebanon or some other country in the Middle East or elsewhere, and books a flight to Pakistan, to Paris, to wherever. Travels on that passport to that country, goes for training, carries out an attack, participates in a meeting, whatever he or she wants to do. They can spend a couple of weeks there. They fly back to Germany. I'm using Germany, it could be England, it could be France, it could be Spain, it doesn't matter. They fly back on the Pakistani passport, if that's what they had, or Lebanese passport. They get into Germany, and the very next day, they return to the United States on their U.S. passport. Well, if you look at the U.S. passport, this person simply went from the United States to Germany for a three-week vacation. Nothing to see here, folks. In reality, the guy didn't spend a day in Germany. The whole point of going to Germany was to change identities and change airplanes. Very dangerous. Now, if you think I'm being paranoid, I'll tell you about a real-world story. An inspector several years ago called me up because he knew that I was doing hearings before the Congress and the House and Senate. And he said, Mike, I had a case, and it's keeping me awake at night. Um, I can't give you all the details because I don't think your top-secret clearance is still current. And it's about need to know, and my top secret had expired. And I didn't have the need to know the specific names, but here's basically what we know. We had an alien who became a naturalized U.S. citizen, shows up at a major port of entry here in the United States, has an Anglo name. I'm picking on the name Robert Anderson because it sounds Anglo. Pick any name you like. So Robert Anderson comes in. The inspector puts this guy's name into the database. The database comes back. Everything is fine and sunny and shiny. Everything is cool. And the inspector looks at the guy's passport and says that he was born in Lebanon. And for the last four years, he's been traveling all over the Middle East, Europe, and Latin America. Latin America. He was born in Lebanon. And so he plays a hunch because the guy spoke with a very thick Arabic accent. And he said, what was your name before you naturalized? Because there's only two ways this guy could be a U.S. citizen. His mother gave birth to him in Europe, but she's an American. He's still an American, born to an American mother. Or he became naturalized. And considering how heavy the guy's accent was and his appearance, he decided to play a hunch. And he said to this guy, he's a very sharp inspector, by the way. He said, what was your name before you naturalized? Well, he told him. And when he put that name into the computer, the bells and whistles went off. Smoke starts pouring out of the computer. Turns out he's a wanted international terrorist. The inspector called the members of the Joint Terrorism Task Force. Within five minutes, they showed up, scooped him up, and took him into custody. I want you to stop and think. Here is a guy from a country that sponsors terrorism, gets a U.S. passport in a brand-new name, has traveled all over the world, under an assumed identity that the United States provided. We endangered our allies. He was able to get on airplanes in the United States. He could have used that passport to get into corporate and government office buildings. There's no telling what damage this guy could have done under an assumed identity 
and the U.S. government facilitated this guy putting together a false identity. And all that we could, all that needed to be done is that when an alien naturalizes, put the original name in the passport. And it's not being done. And other countries are doing something equally stupid the same way. And when I asked Chernoff, he said, you have no idea how political this is. I said, political? I remember when I was an inspector at the airport, some Italian movie star came in, gorgeous woman. And she had been married so many times, she literally had an extension sheet for her passport with like five other names. I think this woman was getting, you know, remarried and divorced like every year or two. And all of her different last names were on the extension sheet. And that's all that we're talking about here. If somebody naturalizes, put their original name in the passport. Because the whole point of having a passport is to properly identify somebody who's traveling across international borders. The expense is minimal. You know, how much ink do you need to add a name? But it's too big a deal, and we don't do it. And we don't do it. But we strip search five-year-old little girls who are getting on airplanes. We strip search 90-year-old women in wheelchairs who are getting on airplanes because God knows they pose a threat. But to simply add an extra name to a U.S. passport of a naturalized citizen, somehow we can't do that. We can obliterate the Fourth Amendment. There is no Fourth Amendment. Between computers and Siri and everybody else, there is no Fourth Amendment. But we can't put in the effort to add a second name to a U.S. passport so that we don't endanger ourselves and we don't endanger our allies. This is the level of stupidity and incompetence. And if you read my article, and I really hope that you folks will read this article, and please forward it to as many of your friends as you can, because I want you to be part of what I call my bucket brigade of truth. Get the information out there. Because I had written a piece where I said that the terrorists value U.S. citizenship more than our politicians do. And I based that on the fact that when our commandos took out bin Laden and they searched the compound and seized his computers and all of his records, they found a copy of the 9-11 Commission report, and they found an application for a U.S. passport. Now, I don't think he was applying for citizenship, but clearly he understood just how important citizenship is. The handler from these terrorists told them, whatever you do, don't do anything till you get that U.S. passport. We've seen people get that U.S. passport and within two weeks hop on an airplane and head to the Middle East because they know just how important that U.S. passport is. But you have members of Congress, principally the Democrats, who are saying, let's put illegal aliens on the pathway to U.S. citizenship. You have politicians in both parties saying, let's put illegal aliens in the military. Well, wait a moment. It's a felony for an illegal alien to possess ammunition or a firearm. And if they're illegal, we may never be able to be be certain about their true identities. Why in the world would you want to take somebody who entered the United States surreptitiously and put them on a military base where they get weapons training and they have access to, to intelligence and they have access to our soldiers? It's insane. Years ago, uh, we found that people were coming into the United States on agricultural visas from Panama, from Jamaica, from Trinidad, 
They weren't going to the farms, or if they did, they worked for a week or two, and then they quit. And then they had this brilliant idea. They were recruiters for the Marine Corps who couldn't meet their quotas, so they teamed up with those recruiters. The recruiters were giving them fake ID. They got into the Marine Corps, and as soon as they completed their tactical weapons training, they went AWOL, stole weapons from the armory, and were carrying out commando-style bank robberies all over New York City. I wound up working with the NYPD, what was the Naval Intelligence, at ATF. And those recruiters were, were locked up, and the aliens were locked up and eventually um, deported. Some of them had become naturalized citizens by committing fraud because they were in the military, and, 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 and so the, the, the story continues, you see. We don't learn from the things that go wrong. And you have a level of greed in Washington that we've never seen before, folks. Whether it's sanctuary cities turning vicious killers loose. The guy was charged with attempted murder. And the lame excuse from the police was, oh, this wasn't a serious crime. Well, now that the guy committed a murder, I, or at least allegedly, we have to be careful around here, allegedly committed a murder. ICE has tried to lodge another detainer. I hope maybe this time... Maybe this time, go honor it. This is the level of risk, the level of corruption, and the level of stupidity that we're facing, which is why I wrote that other piece where I said that the road to hell was paved by malevolent politicians. The politicians have to know what's going on unless they're brain dead. I mean, some of them might be, and some of them might be nuts, but goodness. There's been hearing after hearing about the violence of MS-13 and other transnational gangs. There's been hearing after hearing about sleeper agents. I raised the issue when I've testified before Congress as an immigration agent. I've arrested, investigated and arrested terrorists. And yet you have politicians ignoring all the information, ignoring all that's contained in these hearings, ignoring what's in the law, motivated by greed, motivated by I don't even know what anymore. They say everyone's got their price. These folks, I don't even know how to explain it. If they have children, they're endangering the future for their children and their grandchildren, but they're so self-absorbed and they're so delusional that perhaps they just don't care. There's no other way of explaining it. And that's where we come in. We, the people, need to make the politicians accountable. They need to find out that we are not the idiots that they had hoped that we are. They need the money to run for Congress or mayor or senator or whatever, but they still need the votes. We need to get involved. We need to go to the town hall meetings. We need to confront them at those town hall meetings. And we need to tape their responses, record their responses on our smartphones and put it on YouTube. We have to call them out. How many more people need to die? How much more danger do we need to subject America and Americans to so that some very greedy, power-hungry politicians can get what they want as they wreak havoc on America and Americans? We can make a difference. The question is, are you willing to step up? The final thing that I want to say to you is very simply this. I believe in the power of one. People frequently say to me, I'm only one person. What could I possibly do? History is written by individuals. 
Um, I think I've mentioned it before, but I, I think it's worthwhile again. Um, standing as we are between the two holidays, Memorial Day and, and the commemoration for D-Day, when America was at its best. And I said at a, at a, um, at a rally for Lou Barletta when he was running, unfortunately, unsuccessfully for the Senate, he, uh, it's just amazing to me, from what I heard, the Republican Party did not give him the funding for his campaign. Uh, you know, we could go on forever about how corrupt politics is, how the system is rigged. But nevertheless, I was uh, introduced in lieu to a rally. And I said, you know, people say I'm only one person. And I said to them, if I gave you paper and pencil and took away your, your smartphone, your access to the Internet, and said to you, you've got 15 minutes, I want you to write down the name of all the key players who played a role for good or bad during the Second World War. It's estimated that at least, this is staggering, 60 million people died. 60 million people died during the Second World War. Cities were leveled. Borders were rewritten. Um, poverty and pestilence. and I mean, all kinds of crazy things happened to our species. It was the most traumatic event in modern human history. But I said, you know, if I gave you that piece of paper and a pen and said you've got 15 minutes, write down the key players. I don't care if it's Mussolini or, or, or General Eisenhower, General Patton or, or, or Adolf Hitler. Just write down the names of the key players. And I would suggest that most people would be unable to come up with more than maybe two dozen names in 15 minutes without having access to the Internet. And yet this was a war that raged across the world, that killed 60 million, injured God knows how many, and orphaned how many more. Don't tell me that individuals don't make a difference. Individuals make all the difference in the world. The challenge for Americans today is to have the courage, the belief in our abilities, to get our voices heard and make the difference. There's so much hanging in the balance. I never thought I would see a day when politicians would openly stand with the criminals, even in the face of incontrovertible evidence that it's costing innocent children their lives. It does not get worse than that. To have the former chairman of the Fed recommend that we make middle-class workers compete with foreign workers to address wage inequality, not by bringing wages up, but by driving wages down. I never thought I would hear those words from the former chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank or any other public, public official. But this is now the new norm. And most Americans ignore it, go about their day-to-day jobs, their day-to-day lives. They shrug their shoulders. And they ignore that our future and the future of our children is being taken from us. This is theft by deception. We really do need to push back. And to that end, I, I will remind you that, as I always like to make the point, democracy, um, uh, you know, democracy requires involvement. We have got to be involved. And if we're going to protect America, the one thing Ronald Reagan said that I truly like with is that um, – Freedom is never more than one generation from extinction. So all I ask is that you do get involved 
that you speak to your neighbors, that you engage in discourse. I know it's not easy, and people may, you know, make all kinds of crazy accusations, but let them make the accusations, but base your discussions with your neighbors on the truth, on the facts. That's what my articles are about. That's what this program is about. Please share the podcast, my articles, have those conversations. You know, the First Amendment is under attack. And if we don't have the freedom to speak our minds, then we don't have any freedoms at all. And please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get involved. And um, I look forward to uh, joining you again next week, right here at the same time, hopefully. Well, we'll see about the time on the Michael Cutler Hour. And uh, I hope the extra 15 minutes this evening uh, or 20 minutes has been helpful to cover all the material that we had to cover today. Have a great weekend, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.